Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Six seconds to go. Comes in to Tucker. Ewing sets a screen. The shot is off. Loose ball. Ewing goes up. The basket comes. Hello and welcome everybody to another episode of Stricken Roll. I'm your host, Shwini Poon, this is episode 35. I'm joined by first-time guest on any of our pods. You know him as at Dude on Twitter. He is the host of the You Know Ball podcast. Uh, Mr. Trill, bro, dude, how are you doing? Doing well. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Excited to be on. First off, love the little sub headline that you have there. For anyone that isn't watching, the Boston <laughs> media mafia is real, 100%. Uh, and I'm glad that we will be here to speak uh, speak out on it. Yeah, I'm experiencing it firsthand this week. Uh, as I as I watch Emmanuel quickly get screwed out of six men of the year. Uh, but before <laughs> we get started with any of that, I do have to make a few announcements. The first being that the Strickland has an Instagram. Check that out. That is at the Strick.Land on Instagram. You can give us a follow on there. We're posting all kinds of new content on there. Strickland also has a YouTube channel. And if you're watching this podcast, you should hit like. And then you should subscribe, subscribe to the channel if you haven't already done so. That would be a huge help to us. Furthermore, the Strickland has new merchandise. I'm not wearing any of it right now, but it is out there. Uh, check it out. It is on our website. You can... Take a look. We have t-shirts, sweatshirts. I'm not sure if you want to buy a sweatshirt right now, but, you know, maybe you want to stock up for next winter. Uh, sweatshirts, sweat, sweat pants, or sorry, fleece pants, shorts, whatever they like to call them. And uh, all kinds of other stuff. Hats, also. The Strickland also has a Patreon, which you can subscribe to. There are a number of different tiers. There's a $6 tier that gets you access to Pod Strickland that I host every Friday with Prez. You also get access to the Strickland mailbag that is hosted by... Andrew Steele, a.k.a. Doug, a.k.a. The Doug Bag, alongside Dallas Miko. That comes out every other week. You also get access to the Strickland Discord, where the conversation never stops. There are further tiers. There is a $9 tier that gets you access to Strickland Roll, this pod right here, my solo pod, where I rant and rave about the Knicks even more. You also get access to wonderful premium articles by Matthew Miranda, one of the best in the business. There are further tiers. There's a $15 tier, $30 tier, $50 tier, $100 tier. Those come with a variety of additional benefits, like listening on a pod recordings, merchandise discounts, and even potentially co-hosting the podcast alongside yours truly one day. Whether you choose to subscribe or not, none of this is possible without you. So uh, now that I got done with all of that, uh, let's get started here. Um, yeah, so you're a Sixers fan. 
the That's Sixers. Correct. The Sixers, yeah, the Sixers are playing uh, our our little brothers in Brooklyn, the Brooklyn <laughs> Nets. Uh, I imagine this was the series that you would have wanted the most out of the options there. Uh, in theory, yes. If I'm just going based on what I feel as though would probably be the easiest matchup, it's kind of like last year when everyone was aiming for the Bulls uh, and the Bucks ended up getting them. <laughs> and as my co-host of the podcast, who actually is a Celtics fan, Sam Sheehan, has said, basketball karma is real and that you shouldn't try to target a specific team for a matchup in the first round or the second round or whatever. You just play who's ahead of you. You beat who's ahead of you. You can't be scared of anyone. I mean, I guess I'm glad we got the Nets because I do feel as though it is probably the easiest matchup. But at the same time, I personally wanted revenge on the Hawks and the Heat. So it's a little bit of a a contradiction uh, for me, or a conflict for me, I should say, because I, I feel like having had the Sixers recent history of second round flameouts, we don't really get like a lot of playoff wins that are super satisfying. It's mm. not to say that and like a playoff win in itself matters. Like it, it, people should care more about getting to the playoffs, winning a round of the playoffs. I but care. Sixers, yeah, I of care. Course, of course, <laughs> you, you're a Knicks fan. You know, you guys have, you know, you guys are making it back and you have a shot to win one this yeah. year, but I, I think that in general, the, the championship or bust or conference finals or bust thing is kind of a toxic mindset. But when you only play a certain amount of like good teams and beat, uh, you know, whoever's in front of you in the playoffs, it's nice to have one where it's like you take some personal joy in it. And like we've beaten the Nets in the first round before. This isn't the same Nets team as before when they hit Kevin Durant and Kyrie. And then obviously there's no Ben Simmons playing in this series either. So like there isn't really any sort of revenge factor. I love Mikel Bridges. Obviously the Sixers drafted him, traded him away on draft night, broke everyone's heart in the Philadelphia region because we were huge fans of him. Uh, And there's really no one on the nets that I really don't like. Uh, Spencer did what he's annoying, but we've already beaten him in a playoff series. I would have loved to beat the heat in a down year for them. uh, And just because of last year, and the Hawks, because two years ago, that kind of broke my soul. So those are the two teams I hope to face in terms of like getting something from the playoff series. But I certainly think that the Nets are, I guess, the easiest of the lower seeds. Um, yeah, I, I, I just think this is like a terrible matchup for Brooklyn. Um, Nick Claxton, who, bless his soul, has convinced Nets fans he is a defensive player of the year candidate. Um, he is going to be it. He's just a, it's just a bad matchup for him. I mean, Joel yeah, Embiid's tough. A, yeah, MB, I mean, Embiid's a bad matchup for like everybody. So that's not exactly, sure. uh, it's not exactly a criticism of him, but it's especially bad for, for him and especially bad for them. They're not a good defensive rebounding team. Um, and not that the Sixers are generally a great offensive rebounding team, but I think just the size mismatch that Embiid has is gigantic for them. Uh, I know that. It's kind of funny, like the Nets made a team that is like NBA Twitter's fever dream. It's just like sure. 15 3 and D guys and one dude who can dribble. Um, but like, I, I just, I just don't think any of them are actually like. I, I don't think any of those guys are actually lockdown defenders. Um, and yeah. and Harden's going to be a problem for them. I feel like Maxi always has always plays well against Brooklyn when I've watched him, and it's just a lot of firepower. And like the, with the way the league is now today, I mean, the main thing for me is 
after they made the Durant trade, obviously they fell off a little bit, but I think they finished the year 10 and 13, 11 and 13. I don't know. I'd have to go back and check uh, Kyle Kuzma's thread yesterday. Um, but like their offense has been atrocious. I think they're like 24th in offensive rating. Yeah, it's been then. tough. Yeah. And like they just can't score. And you just look at the way the league is today. Even if you're a great defensive team, if you can't score, it is really hard to win basketball games. And when you're playing a team like Philly, who is going to score the basketball, given the firepower they have, you need to be able to get buckets. I think you need to be at least a league average offense to have a chance. And they don't have that. So again, and like, you know, the, the Dinwiddie thing is, I can't stand the guy, um, but like, he's literally the only guy on the team that can kind of create, unless yeah. you want to depend on the Cam Thomases of the world, which based on uh, Jacques Vaughn's decision-making is like not really something he wants to do. And I think, which by the way, makes no sense to me. <laughs> like the second you trade Kevin Durant and Kyrie yeah. Irving, the season is over. This is such an, this is and and look, I get it. Cam doesn't, you know, he doesn't try on defense. doesn't pass the ball a ton. People might not perceive him as like a winning player or whatever, but he's 21 years old and scored 40 points in like four games this year. And if anything, like, if you don't want to hold on to him for the future, you could at least boost his trade value. Like, what is the point of kind of getting yourself to this conclusion where you're going to go into this first-round matchup where you don't really have a chance to win the series and you're also taking away reps from your young players? It doesn't make any sense in my brain at all. Well, like, I think this is – so it's kind of funny. Like, at the start of the season – and all, all off-season, actually, and even, like, the first quarter of this season, I would say – I felt like when I was watching the Knicks, I was like, there's a direction here that you can go in that makes sense. And like, you're not choosing it because you're just not like you're starting Evan Fournier. You're playing Derrick Rose over quickly. You're like not. And so like, you know, 23 games in the season, they were like, okay, fuck this. Like Rose, you're out of the Rose and Fournier are out of the rotation. Reddish is out of the rotation. Your favorite player who you love tweeting about. Uh, uh, I I, want to make it clear. I hope all this, all the success in the world for Cam Reddish. This was only because Sixers fans would tweet about Cam Reddish as if he were like an all star because he's from Philly, and oh, I was yeah. like, guys, like, there's a reason why he's not in the Hawks rotation or the Knicks rotation. Like, like I'm sure he could be a fine bench wing somewhere, but every time I tweet about Cam Reddish, it's only because I'm trying to push back on the Sixers fans who literally think he's like a better version of Tobias Harris, basically. Well, let me tell you, it's not just Sixers fans. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, I know. Yeah, Cam Hive <laughs> is real. Uh, oh, yeah. So, like, you know, they make the choice to, like, okay, look, we're, we're keeping Randall. Obviously, we signed Brunson, which I never had a problem with because I'm just like, I think if you can sign a really good point guard, especially for the Knicks, who haven't had a really good point guard since, like, I don't know, before Marbury started eating Vaseline, like, like you just should do it. Um, and, and sure, like, you know, maybe down the line, somebody like Emmanuel Quickly is going to be like, well, I want to start. I don't really think that's that big of a problem in the NBA today. Like, I think you can start those guys together. But that's a separate conversation for later. But, like, I think if you sign Brunson, that's fine. I always was fine. I was, I was fine with that signing once, like, all the details came out and I kind of understood everything. I was like, okay, this, this, is, a, this is a good sign. Um, so, like, once they kind of, like, moved these guys out of the rotation and it was just like, okay, our rotation is just Randall and Brunson and then all these other young dudes. And like Hartenstein, who's actually kind of a young dude too, he's 24, he's like old. I was like, okay. Yeah, and I was just, I was just like, okay. Like not, the seed, They obviously took off from there. I think they finished the season, what, 37 and 
22. So they did well after that point. Um, like from that point on, though, I was like, okay, no matter where the chips kind of fall, I'm okay with this. This is like, sure. this makes sense. This is fine. And I say all that because I don't think the Nets have any fucking idea what they're doing. That's what honestly what I believe. I don't, yeah. I, I've been saying this since last summer. I thought they should have traded Durant then because, because to me, like, you can't have an offseason that they had where Kyrie Irving demands a trade. Okay. He doesn't get it because of a variety of reasons. Kevin Durant asked for a trade and you basically spend, and, and not only did he demand a trade. Okay. This is what people, we all forget now. He said that he wanted to stay only if they would fire Sean Marks and fire the head coach, which is Steve Nash, which they ended up doing anyways. I don't like at that point, if you're keeping him, that's not a show of power. That's a show of we're, we don't have any idea what we're doing. We are going to let you kind of just do, do and say whatever you want as long as you continue to play basketball for us. And I just don't know how that's tenable. And I know that they were having a really good season before, you know, again, it all inevitably fell apart. The point is, it was always inevitably going to fall apart. There was sure. always going to be some point where Kyrie Irving did Kyrie Irving things. And there was always going to be a point where Kevin Durant got hurt because Kevin Durant is an injury-prone player and he's older, and that's just what it is. And, like, I just didn't really understand what you were trying to salvage. And, like, I, I personally, even if they had kept that together and finished the season the way they were going, I still wouldn't have liked them over Boston. I still wouldn't have liked them over uh, Milwaukee. And I really think, like, the Phil a Philly series would have been kind of like, who knows? Um, and I just, like, I, I never understood that. But, okay, so now you trade Durant. Right, like okay, finally you do it because you know basically it's been forced upon you. To your point, like they got offered. I understand keeping McCall Bridges, and that looks like maybe that was the right call given kind of the uptick he's had. I'm still a little bit questionable, questionable over like how valuable it is because to me, if you're getting all these numbers and touches and all this stuff, but your team's offense sucks, I'm not saying that's entirely on you, but no. it it probably does say something about like I don't think a good offense has McCall Bridges as its number one option. Um, it doesn't. I mean, yeah. I, I love McCall Bridges, uh, even when you're when he's shooting, like, what, 50, 40, 90, averaging yeah. 27 a game in the offense. And once again, it's not him, but it's like, it, not being an engine, especially when you're good defensively like him, uh, is not an issue at all. But uh, if this if this 30-game stretch is a is an indicator of anything, it's that he can be a very, very good second option. And if they get that first option, that offensive engine improved, like if if you took Spencer Dinwiddie and you put Trey Young in there, then we can talk. You know what I mean? Like that's yeah. where I, it gets interesting to me. Yeah, I mean they're they're kind of like a interesting Trey Young potential landing spot. Yeah. Um. But like, okay. So and I get okay. I I get why you keep Mikael Bridges. Like I, I think also there's kind of the idea of like he's the centerpiece of the Durant trade. We can't just immediately throw. Okay, fine. I don't care about that. You trade. You don't. You could think I offered two first, I believe, for Royce O'Neal. Or not Royce O'Neal. Um, Dorian Finney-Smith. You turned that down, which I don't get. Um, you kept Utah Watanabe, which is fine. Like, I, I, that's not the problem. But it's like, now he's just out of the rotation. Yeah. Like, so he's, you didn't get anything for that. And it just feels like there's all this stuff there. Where, like, and like Seth Curry was another one. Yeah, Seth Curry, they definitely could have moved him. And they're going to end up losing him for nothing. And it's like, I'm not like... If they, I guess, like, the weird thing is, I guess for them, they're just like, we just want to be in the playoffs, and that's fine, I guess. But to me, like, 
you probably could have just ended up in a playoff spot even if you had given up a, a couple. Like, I mean, with how many guys they have that are just kind of like rotation caliber of guys, I don't see how losing dudes that had trade value and probably were peaking at trade value at this deadline, I don't see how that was a problem. And I really think this deadline for a lot of teams, they're going to look back and regret not trading some of these dudes because, like, you know, what, what did Masai got offered like four first for OG and Obi or something? Yeah, and I mean, the, the Masai, uh, that trade for Yaka Pirtle is one of the most confusing <laughs> things I've ever seen. Like, I, I, the, at the, the, the day that it happened, we woke up the next morning. Obviously, it got overshadowed by Durant getting traded right, uh, right. because both of them happened kind of in the middle of the night. Yeah. But we did our annual show Slop Fest, and I was like, what's the point of this? Like, I understand it when I actually understand the value of, like, perfect example, a team like the Knicks. You want to get Emmanuel quickly reps in the playoffs, Quentin Grimes, guys that have not been there before, really, and haven't had their moments to... And also, you want to test and see if they're playoff players, to be honest. Like, there is a difference between regular season players and playoff players. You want to get your young guys reps in the playoffs early. The Raptors have already had that. Like, they've already had their, like, you know, Fred Van Fleet was a part of a championship rotation. Pascal Siakam, OG Ananobi had the next, you know, two of the next three years they make the playoffs. These guys have been in big playoff games. Going back to 2017, these guys have been in big playoff Mm -hmm. games. The Yaka Pirtle trade and not selling as high on OG Ananobi as you possibly could is just, it's baffling to me. None of, none of it makes any sense in my brain at all. Yeah. I mean, it, it especially like, I mean, the OG thing, maybe you can talk me into like, they think they can get the same value in the off season. I'm skeptical of that, but maybe that's like their, that's what they were operating on. Fine. I'll give you that. Right. You didn't trade Fred who is an expiring contract. You didn't trade Gary Trent Jr., who's an expiring contract. You trade for Jakob Bertel, who is an expiring contract. These guys all need to get paid. Are you going to pay all of them? And if you do, you're you're going to be in the luxury tax. Like That's just how it's going to be. Yeah, and the other thing with the Raptors is like you trade for Pirtle, he's a free agent. Fred Van Vliet, he's a free agent. Gary Trent Jr., he's a free agent. Like, if you didn't and OG Ananobi is going to be a free agent in a year's time after the summer. Sure. Like, are you paying to keep this core together? And like, what is like, what does that do for you? Um, I, I even just to interject. Yep. Hold on one second. Who is paying Jakob Pertle more than the MLE this offseason? There's not enough cap space to go around that you couldn't have even gotten access to the MLE and then just given it to him. He wanted to go there anyway, probably. So like, I, I don't know. It just didn't, the, the trade in itself is just a reflection of doubling down on a philosophy that worked one time because Kawhi let you happen to make the Kawhi Leonard trade at the perfect moment, all the stars aligned and never budging off of that. Despite the fact that you now have a, a pretty decent sample size of it, just not really progressing towards anything. And obviously all of this wouldn't matter if Scotty Barnes made the leap that they had anticipated, but by the halfway point of the season, you knew that that wasn't happening. <laughs> yeah. And that, yeah. like, like you knew that this probably was, I mean, maybe a first round exit was your ceiling, but that was the best case scenario getting destroyed by one of the top three teams in the East. It, it just doesn't make any sense. Yeah. And it's like, I, I mean, they don't have ball handlers. Like they have one guy and Van Vliet played the entire second half yesterday. Cause they literally can't function when he's not on the floor. Um, yeah. And like, I don't know that, that team, I, I just look at, 
Masai. And I'm like, I mean, even the Brooklyn thing, it's just like, it, to me, those are teams that just feel like they don't really, like they're just keeping it together right now because they don't really know what they're trying to build towards. Um, sure. And I will give Brooklyn a little bit of a break because I do think that, as you said, they probably should have made the move before the season. But once they made that decision not to, it's not like you could have fixed everything at the deadline. Yeah. Like it was pretty much over. And then waiting until the summer to see what your team looks like, that makes a little bit of sense to me, at least. With Toronto, like if anything, you should have just stood pat. <laughs> like, yeah. like, why are you giving up your first round pick in 2024? which actually kneecaps your flexibility. You have no road to cap space unless you let multiple right. core pieces go. Like, I don't know. It's, it's, it's just the most confusing thing. Well, ever and, and I think like, you know, Messiah, had a, he had this press conference like the day after the trade deadline. And he was talking about so many things. And he was like, you know, we never got, he said something like he never got an overwhelming offer or something like that. And I'm like, you're trading OG and Obi. Like, who do you think he is? Like, who, who do you think? Oh, like, I know that there's the there's, well, there's idea. Well, Raptors fans thought he was Kawhi. Yeah, right. <laughs> like, there's this idea of OG Ananobi, and it's like he's 25, 26 years old. That doesn't mean he's done, but there's probably a limit to like what he's capable of growing into, and it, it's probably pretty close to what it is now. He's a really good defensive player. He can sure. knock down threes, and that's fine. Like that. That's he's basically like super PJ Tucker when he was in his prime to me. Yeah, like modern version of what that is. He's a better defender than Tucker was. He's pro- he's a, he's a better offensive player. But like that's a really good, valuable player. This is not slander by any means. That's like the third or fourth best player in the right situation on a title team. But this idea that he's going to become a superstar is just it's just insane, <laughs> right? And then it's like then then he said something about like. Well, he wanted to get Pirtle because he thought that, you know, they, they had issues defensively that he would fix. And because he hadn't done that, you know, the year before or to start or this past season to start it, that he felt he had let the team down. And I'm like, so you needed like a year and a half to decide to trade for his fucking center? Like, yeah. like I don't really, I don't get any of this. And it's just like, like you said, like that the price makes no sense. And it's just, it's all like, the other weird thing is too. It's like maybe if Masai was on like the hot seat, I get it. Like, okay, right? He's trying to do something. He's trying to take a swing, but like, he's not on a hot seat. So what the hell? He's the most job security in the NBA, probably. Yeah, it's like him and Tim Connolly, because uh, <laughs> <laughs> they own part of the team somehow. Um, but like, it's just I, I really don't understand. I mean, I'm happy about it as like a division, you know, rival. Sure. It's great. It's great to see more incompetence in the division. Uh, yeah. God knows. No, lock up that core for a decade. Yeah, God, I'm, I'm in for God, it. God knows that the Atlantic Division has had much fun with in an incompetent Knicks franchise for the better part of two decades. Um, sure. But like, yeah, like I, I don't know. I just look at that, and then I look at like kind of because it's funny when the Knicks. So when they hired Leon Rose, um, that was like there was all these rumors going around before they even hired Leon. I mean, there were actually like no rumors of them hiring Leon Rose until like it happened one morning, and it was just like. Oh, the Knicks are hiring Leon Rose, and I'm like, "What? <laughs> what are we doing?" Um, but like, there are all these rumors of like, "Oh, Masai, like Masai, Dolan wants Masai, and you know, he's this his contract is expiring, so like, he, or maybe they trade a first round pick for him." And I like look back at that, and I and I kind of look at like where the Raptors are now. And I look at where the Knicks are now, and this isn't to say like the Knicks are the most well run team and the Raptors are the most disastrous run team, but like, I kind of like the the genius Masai stuff. 
I, I really think that Kawhi trade just made people go crazy over him. Sure. Um, and it's like, you know, like you mentioned, since then, really all they've done is bleed talent. Like, they, like, like he even brought up the Lowry trade as, like, some, like, oh, see, like, we got, I'm like, you got a fucking second round pick in Precious Chua, who makes no sense on your team, by the way. <laughs> like, who makes absolutely no sense on your team. So, like, really, that's, that, you could have gotten, I think they got offered, like, Taylor Horn Tucker and a first round pick by the Lakers uh, at the deadline the year before. And it's like, you didn't do that. But you did yeah. this, and like you're tr- selling this as a victory, and it's like, well, we can do that with Van Vliet this summer. And it's like, no, you can't. Because I'll tell you one thing: like, I think there are going to be two or three teams that can just sign Van Vliet outright and want to sign him outright. I think Orlando you know, is a perfect example. Orlando could be one. I think Houston could be one. I think there are sure. a couple of teams out there that like just need a point guard and, and are willing to do it. Um, oh, Nick Nurse and Fred Van Vliet in <laughs> Houston with James Harden. Uh, I still, you're still playing 45 minutes a night. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, Harden would love that. So. It's like you never left, Fred. Uh, but like, I, I think I think the Van Vliet one is going to be a disaster. And then, uh, and and the thing with Van Vliet too is like he's what twenty eight, so he's not. He's twenty nine, yeah, but he's not at like the like when they did when they kind of like rolled the dice with Lowry. You kind of knew like okay, Lowry's going to get a bag somewhere, but he's going to go to a team that's like good and like wants to compete, and like he's not just going to go. Like this is like Van Vliet is this is bad time. This is not like he wants money. Yeah. He wants money. He said it. Yeah, he wants money. He's won a championship, so it's not like yeah. he's chasing a ring or something. Uh, I think they really messed that up, and I'm happy about that. Uh, a team that unfortunately uh, referenced in my uh, in my little bar here uh, that that is not uh, messing up a ton is the Boston Celtics, which is amazing because they've had such an interesting summer last year. Uh, are are you like mortified of playing them in the second round? Ah, uh, yeah. I mean, I think they're the best team. I think they're going to win the title. So I guess yes. And I am. I'm just kind of annoyed because I think that once again, I, the the Bucks and the Celtics have a way of just getting away with it all the time. Where like no matter what happens, whether it's like the Kyrie thing or like with the Bucks, it's like. Brooke Lopez has a back injury and he comes back at 34 after back <laughs> surgery and is somehow better. And you're like, all these things that always happen to the Bucks and the Celtics literally just never happen to the Sixers. Like, it's like, oh, cool. This guy was supposed to be out for two weeks and he's actually out for two months. Like, I'm, I feel as though the cosmic fortunes of the Sixers and the Bucks and the Celtics are just completely the opposite. And it feels as though, I've been talking about this for a while, like, this is the this is the season that I feel as though Embiid's at the peak of his powers. It's by far the best Embiid season. We've had a little bit of a hardened revitalization, although I think some of it was at least covered up by some hot shooting for the first mm-hmm. few months of the season, to be honest. I talked about this a lot where I was like, like, don't get me wrong, like Harden's had a great season, but like he's not gonna shoot 40% on high volume from three the whole year. Like he never has in his career. Mm-hmm. And like if he does, great, but like I don't know how sustainable that is in a in a playoff setting. So I, I think between the combination of that, you know, obviously you're getting strides from Maxi, improved depth with Melton and sometimes Paul Reed, depending on you know how Doc Rivers is feeling that day. <laughs> this is probably the best and deepest. Sixers team of the process era like even that Jimmy Butler team was super thin like we were counting on guys off the bench our backup center situation was even worse than it is now uh we were counting on James Ennis who we got off the scrap heap and Mike Scott who was a throw-in to the Tobias Harris trade and tattoo legend Mike Scott yeah 
Yeah. Oh, that's was actually my good friend from childhood who got that. Uh, yeah. But uh, oh, wait, are you talking about his tattoos? Yeah. Okay, my friend actually got a Mike Scott tattoo when he was on the team, oh, really? and it went viral like four years ago. Yeah, um, but uh, but yes, he is the, the emojis and, and and Mike's. I he I have mutual friends with Mike, and he's a he's a great guy. But the the thing about that year was that that team was completely built on the fly. Mm-hmm. It was they were finding guys on the scrap heap, and Jimmy was while Jimmy was awesome, and especially in the playoffs, like. Going into the playoffs, the vibes were actually very bad that year, and people don't remember it. We kind of sucked down the stretch of the season. Um, there was a lot of turmoil with Jimmy yeah. and Brett. Weren't there articles uh, that were coming out about, like, there were already articles coming out then that it was like, oh, like, they're going to get rid of Jimmy this offseason. I remember it that. It was basically, yeah. like, when the Tobias trade happened, it was kind of like, this is insurance in case Jimmy leaves, mm. which... I mean, I actually, at the time, I agreed. I didn't agree with how much we gave up in the Tobias Harris trade. But at the time, I agreed with the amount of chips to push in. If you think Jimmy Butler's going to leave, then you should make that kind of trade. Maybe Tobias wasn't the right player, and maybe uh, we gave up too much. But the idea behind the trade, I didn't hate in itself. And you're uh, you're de- dealing with a limited market at that time. It's just like, who's on the market, right? So who's available? Yeah, it was like him or Nikola Mirotic, who was uh, unplayable for the Bucks in the playoffs mm-hmm. anyway. So, like, I, it was basically, like, slim pickings at that deadline in terms of who the Sixers could have realistically acquired, like, I know a lot of fans wanted us to go after like Harrison Barnes and Jeremy Grant and stuff, but they just, they weren't available at that deadline. And, uh, you know, it's bias was, and I think we probably paid one first round pick too much. We smartly sold high on Landry yes. Shamit, who everyone was, you know, dying over the fact we gave him up. And I was like, he's fine. But like, well, he had that, he know, had that he playoff sh- game that year too. And everybody's like, Oh my God, oh, like- the Sixers. <laughs> and then I was like, yeah, he made like, this happens, and I, I'm guilty of it too with Isaiah Joe, but the difference between Isaiah Joe and Landry Shamit is that we gave up Isaiah Joe for nothing. Like, we, we actually, we literally just let him walk, and I was like, wait, he's good. Why are we doing this? Like, he's, but anyway. He's the most boring uh, player too. Yeah, I know. So, uh, just the most efficient, only threes and rim attempts. Like, that's like his whole, his whole bag. Uh, but uh, the the 2018-2019 team was, before this year, the best team that we've had. We ran into a Raptors team that honestly we just matched up with really well. We had a ton of size. Um, you know, we, defensively we were able to kind of, you know, muck up some games and make it really tough for the Raptors to score in the half court. And uh, they also shot really poorly from the field that series as well. So uh, that was, you know, obviously the furthest we've got being within a shot of the fin- uh, the conference finals, obviously. But the this year's team I feel as though is better than that team. The problem is I think that the Celtics are a worse matchup for us. And I think that the yeah. Celtics have proven to be the worst matchup for us the entire Embiid era because of the fact that they have two wings. You know, even before these guys became as good as they yeah. were, they gave the Sixers problems. Yeah. Uh, two wings that you essentially the, – the problem with playing the Celtics every time is that you need to have two guys that you can trust defensively to slow down Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown – and anytime that's ever been the case for the Sixers, they're always taking something off the table on the other end. So offensively, Ben Simmons obviously had his issues in the half court. Thibel. Matisse Thibel had his issues in the half court. And even, even with Thibel, by the end, I felt as though Jason Tatum kind of figured out how to you know yeah. go against Thibel. He was better as an off-ball roamer free safety type when we put him at the nail like 
a prime Danny Green. Uh, and then Danny Green, another guy who, just by the time he was on the Sixers, wasn't capable yeah. enough of hanging with those guys. The, the, guys, the so, guys that Jason Tatum struggles with are always like the dudes that really get into him and are super physical. Yeah. Like J- Josh Hart this year when we played them, we only played them once after we got him. Or we played them twice. Yeah. We actually played them twice after we got him. He got ejected in one game because uh, he was so... Perfect. And then the overtime yeah, game was the right. other one. And, right? and, yeah. and Hart had a play where, like, I've talked about this multiple times, but there's a play in that game you go back and watch it. I'm pretty sure I tweeted it out, like, something like, this is the most Josh Hart play ever or something. Uh, but he, like, he basically, like, tackles Jason Tatum, and then he yep. then he shoved Jalen Brown in the back, and then he complained to the ref about getting called for a foul. So great play. Uh, I hope that he does more of that. But it was like, yeah. I was going to say, but <laughs> I we were mad we didn't get Josh Hart at the deadline because you guys gave up the first-round pick, yeah. and we were like, fuck, we can't compete with the first-round pick right. because – we had because th- we ended up trading Thibel right, to Portland. Right. The point was going to be we were going to trade like we were going to try to trade like Thibel, Cork Moss, and we had the Hornets second, which was essentially a first round pick. It's probably going to be about 10, 12 right. spots behind where your guys first mm-hmm. is this year. But uh, we were really annoyed that we could because Josh Hart, for this exact reason, we were like, we need him for a Celtics series. He can get into Jason Tatum's handle, he can cause Jalen Brown some problems. And then in addition to that, He's also going to be really important for us because our wings are really bad at rebounding. Yeah, yep. And that is the one thing that he would have been like the perfect oh, he's like, like glove yeah. fit for what we needed in the starting lineup. And uh, you know, obviously his shooting was not good in Portland. Uh, but I was like, whatever. We're we're playing Thibel and PJ Tucker right now, who aren't <laughs> effective shooters. Even if Tucker can make some threes, the, the, he's not an effective shooter. He can shoot from one part of the court and he does it like twice. A every game. time I see Tucker's three point percentage, I'm like. This can't be real. Like I swear, I've watched. Crazy. I've watched like the only game I I actually remember him making a three was that Celtics game recently, uh, where he, he hit made three, three. Yeah, but like I swear, <laughs> the rest of the season, every time I watch him, I'm like, every time I look at, I watch him play, and I'm like, he's got to be shooting like you know fucking like twenty seven percent from three, and then I'll go look at it in Basketball Reference, and I'm like, wait, forty. Yeah, like, wh- it's like forty percent. How is this even possible? Do I just like miss the three games a year where he like balls out or something? It just the volume is just so low that it's like who cares? And, yeah. and also another thing with PJ is that like there's two things that P- three things that PJ can do on offense now. That one corner three when he's pretty much only shoots when he's wide open, which doesn't really help for spacing purposes because it helps the defense will just sag off of him and they're forcing the and shot clog right. the lane yeah. exactly. Uh, they'll live with whatever the result is, even if it's a high-efficiency shot. They don't believe he's going to take them. And then if they are able to rotate over to him, he can't make anyone pay on any sort of closeout attack. Like, McDaniels isn't as good of a shooter as uh, McDaniels that we yeah, have, not yeah. his brother. Uh, the McDaniels that we have, uh, uh, Jalen McDaniels, isn't as good of a shooter as Tucker, but he's a much more effective offensive player with our stars because he can do something once there is a closeout and and he can get into his floater package. He gets to the line sometimes. He can finish around the rim. He also is an active rebounder as well, which is the other thing that PJ can do is that sometimes he ducks in and he can, you know, kind of get in there and get some rebounds. And then in addition to that, the only other thing that he can do is the screen and pass. Like he's kind of a, a very, very one-dimensional offensive player, which I don't like my big thing with the Celtic series is like, I think we're going to go down O2 before doc makes a single adjustment. Um, <laughs> and I mean, that's kind of just what happens yeah. every year yeah. is like, I, I can tell you right now, like the Sixers and this once again, this is like the, the Celtics have kind of made a, uh, like we call it on the podcast. We call it diaper mode whenever Jason Tatum and uh, just kind of has one of those games where he is 
seemingly throwing up all over himself, not able to make a shot, making bad decisions. He has about 10 to 15 of those games every year, a lot of them in big games. But they, but he's become such an improved passer and playmaker, and he can read the floor so much better that they have basically set up a diaper mode proof team in Boston <laughs> where they just have spot-up shooters at every position. They can go five out to, to hurt a team like the Sixers that relies heavily on paint protection and rim protection. And then they also have the ability to, okay, if we want to look at it in a, another way, we can have Rob, we can have him run pick and roll with Rob. Like there's so many different looks that they can have. They have complementary secondary small smart ball handlers in Brogdon and White now. Like they just have made this team that like Jason Tatum is like totally under the radar. Jason Tatum has actually played terrible against Sixers. Oh, he was terrible the last game you guys played. He was awful. Yeah, he's played terrible against Sixers three times <laughs> this year. Like for what we're expecting from Jason Tatum, right, like right. we're expecting th- an efficient thirty a game, like he's done all season. And he's legitimately not cracked 20 points in the last three matchups. And we lost two of those games. And one of those games, they were missing like three starters. So like my whole thing on this is like the matchup is bad. Doc isn't going to make adjustments till it's too late. I worry about Harden in that matchup a lot in, in creating advantages, especially if they're just switching everything. And then on top of that, like I trust in will it win the Embiid minutes, but as that's proven in the past, like, the Embiid minutes can be wiped away in a 10-minute little... Like, if he sits for five minutes, the last time we played Boston, we were up, like, 12 points when Embiid was on the court, and then he goes to the bench, and we they erase the, the, the lead immediately. Embiid has to literally make every single shot he took in the fourth quarter for us to win. So basically, my whole thing is here is, even if Embiid plays perfect and Doc pulls all the right strings and Harden looks fine, the the margin for error for the Celtics is just this big. And the margin for error for the Sixers is this big. Yeah. Like they basically have to play a perfect series. George Niang can never see the floor, which doc won't do until game three. He won't pull, pull George Niang. Well, also, it also hurts because Niang's actually like an effective offensive player off of Harden. So not being well, able to play him thing. is a like killer. Right. Right. Because the Sixers already don't shoot enough threes because they let Isaiah Joe walk for no fucking reason. <laughs> and so because of that, they, since they don't have a volume three-point shooter other than Maxi, who honestly should shoot probably two more threes a game. He's one of the best shooters in the NBA and he only shoots six threes a game, which like he probably should be shooting eight or nine, to be honest. And Tobias is is a medium volume guy. He's a, Tucker's a low volume yeah, guy. At least Tobias has taken them nowadays. He takes them, yeah. which, is a, which is a positive, you know, like progression that we've gotten out of Tobias this year is that he takes them. And when he's hot, he's a very effective player because he has improved defense yeah. this year as well. And he's got a high release but, too. So it's his shots like pretty much you can't block it. Exactly. Yeah. So like, to, like I am actually in the last two months, Tobias has been terrible to be honest, but like, I'm actually not that worried about Tobias. He was good in the playoffs last year. I, I think that this new role where he's just kind of like, don't screw it up basically is really good for him. We've taken the decision-making out of his hands. He make when he makes quick decisions and he hits his open shots, he's a very effective player. And I actually think that he should be fine in most of these matchups. What it comes down to for me is that we're going to have a math problem against the Celtics. They're going to shoot probably 15 more threes a game than us. They're going to have, obviously the creation from the wing position is going to be really hard to slow down. And then in addition to that, like, I, I just feel as though they have so many different looks they can go to. Okay, the big look isn't look isn't working for us with Marcus Smart. Like 
Bill Simmons talked about this on his podcast, and I was like, Bill's actually kind of spitting when he talks about this. He's like, against the Sixers, you don't want to go with the too big Marcus Smart lineup. Like, Marcus Smart at point guard, two yep. bigs, because because you can just have Embiid roam off of Smart or Rob Williams, yep. and you're just going to live with whatever the results are from that. And the Sixers were basically shut them down in those in those minutes. And then this was the third game when Tatum actually hit the game winner after oh, playing like shit for most yeah, of the game. Yeah. Yeah, and then Embiid yeah. hit that like ridiculous shot, but it was like, it's a, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But but Derek White and Brock didn't come in off the bench; yeah. they go a little bit smaller. But like once again, like they have the luxury of being able to bring up like guys that are like not sub all stars, but like probably just below that off of their well, bench. White in a way, that, White might be their third best player this year. Yeah, yeah. no, he yeah. is. I think he yeah. is. I actually, there's an argument that he, if Jalen Brown weren't as efficient as he was scoring, he would have been. Yes close to their second best mm-hmm. player. Like his, his defense is crazy good. Yep. Like he's probably the most versatile guard defender in the NBA. It's like him. And I mean, I don't know any other guards. It's like him and smarter, the two best rim protecting guards I can think of. And you have that and they can defend on the perimeter and they can defend off ball. Like it's just really, it's going to be a tough matchup for the Sixers. I am a little doomer about it, but I'm also like, you're going to lose to the best team. That's probably going to at least if they lose to the conference in the conference finals, it's because Milwaukee's winning the title. If they win the conference finals, they're probably winning the title. So like, it's hard for me to get like super doomer, but at the same time, like clock's ticking on Joel Embiid. If he were to one out after the season and if Harden walks after the season, I couldn't really blame either of them at this point. Like you've made, you've made it so many times to the playoffs and lost in the second round so many times. How could you not, start to get annoyed yeah i mean i think so one one thing actually though i will say about boston and you guys just don't have the type of guards that like the guards that really fuck them up are like smaller guards not like super small but like six one six two shifty off the bounce like like brunson has cooked them this year quickly has cooked them this year they just have trouble trouble matching up with those guys i mean steph is his own thing but we saw in the finals last year obviously steph absolutely destroyed them like they just and smart is like that dude like looks like he just lives in the gym now so like he's like gigantic and like you said Derek White is gigantic so they just struggle more with those smaller shifty guys I think and you guys don't really have that I mean Maxi's like obviously super fast I wouldn't say he's shifty like I don't think that's like what his game is he's like no his lateral quickness is actually not quite at like that's like the one part of his athleticism that's like not great um and then also in addition to that like they're just really physical with Baxi, and he's and he struggled with that. Like he actually played one, the first game of the season; he was fantastic against them. And then the rest of the games, he played. I'm not even exaggerating. Probably the three worst games he's played all year was Boston. It's a bad matchup for him. Our house is a mess. Come 
Come on in. I'm Amber Wallen, internet comedian, plant queen, and host of your new favorite podcast, Fly on the Wild. Okay, that's pretty presumptuous to assume that this is going to be their favorite podcast, by the way. Like, come on, Amber. Anyway, that wasp that you just heard interrupt me is my husband. And co-host, Benjamin Wallen, also a comedian, and I host people at our home. I have a great wine collection in my cellar. Well, you it's mean cellar. the mini fridge. It's a mini fridge. It's a mini yeah. fridge. New episodes of Fly on the Wallen drop every Wednesday. Listen in as we discuss relationships, books, and keeping our sweet baby kid alive while we make laughs on the internet. Subscribe to Fly on the Wallen wherever you get your podcasts.